Well, today we celebrate the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and as I had spoken about in the introduction to the Mass, this is a feast wherein we celebrate the fact that as of right now, there are only two human beings in existence who are raised bodily from the dead. One of them being, of course, our Lord Jesus Christ, but then also his mother. And that's what we especially commemorate today. The Assumption is, as it were, a kind of extension of Easter Sunday. Mary participates in the fullest sense in the fruits of Christ's redemption. Jesus' redemption, the act of his death on the cross, and all the good things and the blessings, forgiveness and grace that was merited for us by that great act of salvation and love, these benefits are coming to us. They're not all present yet. We've, we've received the benefit of grace through the sacrament of baptism, but we're, we're waiting for the benefit of the bodily resurrection. But Mary, she's got all the goods all now. Okay, so she benefits from the entire, uh, the entire benefits, the entire set of benefits from Christ's um, passion and death and resurrection. And uh, to kind of speak a little bit about my theme here for today, uh, I'm going to tell a little story here. There is uh, currently alive, he's not very old, I, I think he's probably in his 50s right now, a man by the name of Roy Showman. Roy Showman. If anybody's got an ear for last names, the guy sounds Jewish. He is. He's Jewish in his background. His parents escaped Nazi Germany, and they fled to America. They married. He was born in New York City. And uh, he grew up and went to uh, MIT and then Harvard Business School and actually got a doctorate in business. So he's a very kind of go-getter kind of guy, uh, very intelligent and uh, he was sort of seeking the meaning of life throughout the course of his entire childhood, really, in his teenage years and his years in college. And um, he thought possibly, you know, by the time he'd say he accomplished his degree and then maybe he landed his job, so forth and so on, kind of like life would make sense. Would co- things would come together. He'd find meaning and purpose in life. And so he actually uh, becomes a professor of, of uh, business, and so he lands his big career. He thinks he's all set, but really what he finds is, you know, my life is, is not meaningful, and I don't know what the purpose of life is. Now, he had a, a Jewish religious upbringing, um, and, uh, but, you know, he, so he was kind of religious when he was a kid, but he sort of distanced himself from his, from his religion when he got older. But it was around that time when he got his job, he was about 29, and he was sort of seeking the meaning of life and wondering about the meaning of life and very cognizant in the depths of his heart that these attainments that he achieved uh, did not fulfill that purpose and that meaning, that he had a a mystical experience uh, that changed his life and eventually led him to become Catholic. And this is what happened to him. He was walking one day... uh, in a pine forest on the side of a, a beach in Massachusetts. And he had a mystical experience. It wasn't anything like he saw anything, 
but it was from one moment to the next. Just within the course of a single moment, he had an overwhelming sense of God's presence. And he saw his entire life as if, you know, he had died and he looked back on his entire life. So he was seeing his entire life from God's perspective, from the perspective that uh, the human soul enjoys at the end of its course. And uh, he sees the things that he uh, regretted. He says two things that he regretted the most. Number one is the amount of time that he wasted worrying about how he wasn't loved when all along there was an infinite ocean of God's love surrounding him at every moment that he didn't know about and didn't appreciate. So it was that lost, all that worry about something that was actually right there in front of him the whole time. That's the one regret that he had about his life. The second one was every moment that he wasted not doing something that was eternally beneficial. And he realized there is meaning to life. At every moment, there is a potential for infinite meaning. At every moment of our life, we can pray. At every moment of our life, we have a moral decision to make between good and evil. And we can make decisions that will be eternally beneficial, that we will be eternally grateful for forever, at every single moment of our life. So it's that kind of clarity that he had all in an instant. It was just a grace that God gave to him. But he didn't fully know exactly, you know, so he had this experience of God, but he didn't really know what religion to practice, you know, to express his worship of God. He just wanted to find the true religion. And so he said, God, I don't care who you are. If you're Apollo, the Greek God, I'll become a a Greek pagan. If you are Allah, I'll become Muslim. If you are Krishna, I'll become Hindu, so forth and so on. But I don't want you to be Christ. (laughs) Because they have very strong uh, prejudice against Christianity being raised in a Jewish family. And uh, so time went on. And uh, he went back to work, and he said for the first time in his life since he was a child, he was happy. He knew everything was going to be okay. He knew that there was purpose and meaning in life. Nothing worried him. He knew that all things would work together for his good, that everything was arranged by God for his good ultimately, so that in the, in the big picture, nothing really evil happens to us. So he could see that clearly. It gave him a great joy and a great peace. And every night he prayed before he went to bed, God, show me what religion you want me to embrace. And it was exactly a year after that mystical experience in the forest, exactly a year after, he went to bed after praying that prayer. And uh, now this happens commonly in people's, uh, if if God gives them an ecstasy or a vision, sometimes it will happen while they're asleep. It's not a dream. It's a kind of an ecstasy or a vision, but it's given to them while they're asleep, but it's not a dream. It's, It's interesting, okay? So he was asleep, and he could feel someone shake his shoulder and kind of get him up from his sleep. So he got up from sleep, and he was led by, you know, maybe an angel, he couldn't really see who it was, into another room. And in that room, he was left alone with the most beautiful woman that he had ever seen, by far, by far. The most beautiful young woman that he had ever seen. And he, he sat down, he was invited to essentially to sit down at this table with her, and he knew 
And he didn't know a lot about Christianity, but he knew that it was the Blessed Virgin Mary. And so he proceeded, it was about a half an hour, an hour conversation with her, and she actually, and the funny thing is, he, he literally says this, he says, I thought to myself, oh, I wish I knew at least the Hail Mary. But, you know, he maybe had heard it when he was a kid, but he had never, he couldn't recall the prayer. And he had a, a surprisingly a lot of other kind of funny thoughts went through his mind. But in any event, it was a question and answer session. And Mary actually says, well, what are the questions that you have? What do you want to know? And so she actually had this conversation with him for about a half an hour. And he can remember in detail, word for word, every single question he asks and all the specific uh, answers that he gave. And that material is probably for other future homilies. Uh, I can't get into that all now. Very interesting conversation. And then there was a session, a uh, time that Mary wanted to say something to, her, to him. And that is kind of, he says in his memory, it's like a veil is over his memory. He can't quite recall exactly what it was that she said to him. But she, he has that kind of the impression or the sense. In any event, he woke up and he says when he woke up the next morning, he was hopelessly in love with the Blessed Virgin Mary. Hopelessly in love with the Blessed Virgin Mary. And uh, the first thought that went through his mind was, I can't wait until I go to bed again tonight. Because he was under this, he had the strong impression that she was going to visit him again the next night. And when it didn't happen, he says, hmm, well maybe it's going to be like once a week visit. And then a week goes by and she, she doesn't appear again. And he says, well maybe it's going to be once a month. And a month goes by and she doesn't come again. And he's longing deeply to see her because he experienced an ecstasy of incredible love, pure, intense love in her presence that he can never uh, uh, even describe or imagine. And so he wanted to be with her. He wanted to see her again. He thought, well, maybe it'll happen, uh, you know, every year, like in an anniversary. So a year goes by and she doesn't visit him again. So he, he, he realizes, okay, I've got to live another 30 or 40 years or whatever on this earth without seeing her before, be, seeing her again. But I'm going to do every single thing I can in this life right now so that one day I can see her. And, uh, that's what I want to kind of talk about. And maybe two things is the beauty of Mary and then Mary as our hope. Mary is our hope. In our responsorial psalm today, if we, we were to listen, to the different lines from the psalm that we sung. One of them is from it's Psalm 45, and it says, So shall the king desire your beauty. Mary is being spoken about prophetically in the psalm as a queen. And the line says, So shall the king desire your beauty. Now, Mary's beauty is so radiant and so intense because it's an expression of her grace the grace that inhabits her soul. She is full of grace. Her grace is more intense than all the grace of all saints and angels combined. I'm going to repeat that again. Mary has more grace than all saints and all angels combined. That's what it is for her to be immaculately conceived. And it's that grace that has as its natural destination the glory 
of the resurrection. Mary was not indebted by Adam's sin, by original sin, to death. She did not have to die. And in fact, in our tradition, there's a question about whether or not she in fact did die. Okay? She might have. If she did, it wasn't a payment of the debt of original sin. It was so that she could be identified more fully with Jesus Christ, her son, and his death. But whether she died or not, the intense, incredible grace that was given to her in the Immaculate Conception found its destination immediately after her death in her glorification in bodily in a bodily manner. That is, her resurrection from the dead. You see, grace is the seed of glory. It is the seed of the resurrection. And we receive grace when we're baptized. And it is ordered towards, it's destined to come to fruition in the resurrection of the dead. And so that is Mary's destiny. Is She is risen from the dead. And that's what the psalm is talking about. It says, the king desires your beauty. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, ascended into heaven, desired the beauty of this queen, his mother, so intensely that that lifted her up and assumed her into heaven, raised her from the dead. Mary's beauty. And that, that lets us know how incredibly important grace is for us. You know, we all naturally take care of ourselves so that we can be presentable and attractive to others. It's common sense, okay? So we, we take care to comb our hair and brush our teeth and wash and so forth and so on. We're trying to maintain, preserve, and if we can, we amplify our personal attractiveness and our beauty. How much more so should we be doing that with the grace of God to us in baptism? Never doing anything that would risk its loss. Never doing anything that would risk even its diminishment, even its lessening. Doing everything we can in, its, in our power so that it would grow. And then I think the other thing that we learn from this story about um, Roy Shulman is that uh, we, right now, need to be looking forward to heaven. That this life right now is a period of probation and testing. It's a journey towards another place, towards heaven. And uh, that's why we cultivate and preserve and try to amplify the grace of God that's in our soul so that we can arrive at our final destination and be there with Mary and all the saints, glorifying God for eternity in the beauty that is heaven, in the beauty that is the communion of the saints. Oftentimes people try to make this life and this world their ultimate happiness and their reward. If that's your expectation, you're going to be disappointed. Uh, in the Hail Holy Queen, the, the prayer that we all know, the Hail Holy Queen, Hail Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. Mary is our hope. To you do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. We have been banished from paradise, and we're waiting to go there. To thee do we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. This earth is a valley of tears. If we think that it's going to be our total happiness and our end-all and be-all, we're going to be very greatly disappointed. Instead, we need to be using this valley of tears as a means to attain to heaven. Our hope is centered on a reward that lies ahead, and Mary is the full embodiment 
of that hope. We hope for the resurrection. That's been realized already in her. And uh, what I could say in, in conclusion is that if we want to cultivate grace and if we want to make sure that we're heading in the right direction, we keep our eyes on Mary and we, be, we become devoted to her. There is no, no greater sanctification than devotion to Mary. There's no greater tool that's been given to us to become holy and to become saints than devotion to Mary. And I can say I'm very proud to publicly profess my great love for the Blessed Virgin Mary. Like Roy Showman, I can say that I am hopelessly in love with Mary. She is my all, my everything. She, of all women who are on this earth or in heaven, has my heart. And no other woman can compete with Mary for my love, for my affection. And uh, I am very proud to be consecrated to her, to be hers. And I encourage us all to give ourselves completely to Mary because in her motherly hands, there's no way that we can't attain that final end, that hope of heaven, that hope of glory where we enjoy the beauty of the communion of the saints.